It's our wrap of the top business stories here on Metro FM Talk. In seven minutes it is before 8 p.m. Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Makwe Fund Managers is my guest. Makwe, what's your name? It's three dollars at my outie hey, and good man. evening to the list. No? Eish, eish, Makwe. What's wrong? The things I see. Yeah, it's terrible, eh? Ah, bro. You know, it's I was saying terrible. earlier, I was saying earlier, I I can understand, mm-hmm. what I did. I get that. I'm very sympathetic to that. Mm. Um, no, am I saying that's correct, but I am sympathetic to what would drive somebody to do that. Sure. But I get very uncomfortable when I start to see people about Bangemoto's Chisiweyo sabotaging critical network and economic infrastructure in the Salindi Chong. Because then it takes on a different form, you know? I mean, when you attack a treatment plant, Markwe? No, it, it can't be right, you know. It's, it, it's just so wrong. And, you know, we are the very same people who will be uh, affected thereafter because those things don't be there. You know, mm. it can't it can't be justified, you know, from whatever angle and without judging anyone, you know. But the truth be told, this can be right. Yeah, yeah. And I think, Mark, I mean, uh, this is something that is going to have to be resolved. Uh, but uh, let's shift from that. What is impact saying? I mean, they gave some guidance to the market today, um, suggesting that uh, their numbers are going to look much, much better than what they were in 2020. And we know how bad 2020 must have been for them. And also from a debt position perspective, uh, they've managed to reduce their financing costs by nearly 30%. These are the guys who managed to resolve their issues. It's just saying this needs to be resolved, you know. I mean, they're doing just so okay. I mean, look at the performance of plastic and paper. Mm. I mean, the paper business benefiting, you know, from a higher international uh, container port prices and also the company benefiting from increased local sales and also from higher average prices. And yes, we know that given where they're coming from, they expect to see their profits as headline in per share to increase by almost over a thousand to be precise if i'm not mistaken i think it's a 1364 percent increase mm, 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 mm. you know yeah. hey this is the company that we know that the texting publishers informed the competition commission that they intend to increase their stake to 32 percent but should they take it to 35 percent or more as per the company's act requires, then Kexton have to make an offer to the existing shareholders. The unfortunate thing is we don't know as yet what is the proposed offer and the terms thereof. But yes, they managed to get themselves back into order. Yeah, you know, Makwe, I mean, I do think that, you know, when you think about companies like Impact, and maybe let's take a step back for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with what Impact does, Makwe. What is it that they do? Um, And I guess... um, how interesting has that been in the context of uh, what we've seen with COVID-19? It's more into packaging more than anything, mm. you know. So, and packaging for different kind of things. So, whether it's for smaller kind of things, big things, you know, container boards, stuff like that. So, they manage to cover a, a vast spectrum. So, anything that needs to be sold, one way or the other, needs to be packaged. Yeah, ne? Makwe, and uh, I guess the other story that I wanted us to take a look at is this discovery from Petro Diamonds. Now, uh, I mean, whenever I've spoken about Petro Diamonds in the last two years or so, 
Yeah, Probably yeah. hasn't been for good reason. I mean, uh, the debt challenges that they've had and uh, relatively stagnant and declining diamond prices. Um, yeah. But now it seems, hey, they've fallen on a gem. 39.3 carat blue gem for 40 million US dollars. Um, and it's found there at Cullinan where, yeah, you know, even Ukoko Elizabeth, <laughs> It just confirms to you that, you know, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. As you are saying, this is a company that has been struggling for all the reasons, you know, whether it's dropping prices, whether it's debt, you know. Here they are. They managed to get a very nice one. Mm. That was sometime in April or so, and it will help them to have to restructure their debt, to restructure themselves as a company. But that just shows you, by the way, this is the mine that used to be owned by the likes of TPS. And I was not even aware that the, that, that, that mine is the one that usually helps those kind of diamonds and they're so valuable more than anything else. Hmm. But you see, Mark, here's the thing. I mean, a blue diamond. Mm. So I don't know how big 39.3 carats is, but it feels like it's a lot and maybe it isn't. Yes. Uh, and I think it but was they would chop this up into so current. many. Sorry, I think it was a million a current, because one million blue. dollars a current. Because it's blue. Is that because it's blue, Marco? <laughs> yeah, but that's the price, bro. Oh, it's thirty nine point something carat. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, it comes in somewhere for food. And they're still going to chop this up. Yo, yo, highly in the industry, guy. <laughs> aye, that's, aye. A dif- that's a different world, levels, brother. No, I mean, I, I, I've always said, look, Makwe, I mean, uh, this, this industry um, has thrived for decades on the idea that sure. diamonds are scarce. And um, this particular mine or that part of the world, Cullinan, can produce these large gem, gemstone quality, you know, uh, diamonds. And it's not the first time. one, by yeah. the way, remember? Uh, they always release them. So exactly. I don't know if these things are as scarce as people are suggesting, but yay, the prices. I mean, oh. but yeah, I guess that's a story for another day. But let's talk about the price environment just in general for diamonds over the last while. Uh, we know our other commodities, PGMs, gold, yes. iron ore, um, have certainly been on a good price trajectory. Um, how, how have the diamond guys been doing? Not too well. Remember, diamonds I mean, have been used more as a luxury more than anything else. And when people were struggling, yes, you get the ultra-rich who could still afford luxury goods. Hence, you could still see, you know, the likes of your Louis Vuitton doing okay, your Richmond doing okay, supported by the super-rich mm. coming from China and the U.S., but diamonds at some point, they had some competition in the sense that as much as they're luxury goods, but the people were opting for other things as luxury, hence their prices have been going down. Mm. But yes, generally, you cannot compare it with industrial metals, which go up, demand goes up because the economy is growing, you know. Take an example, iron ore, because it has been used, you know, in making steel. If the Chinese continue to produce more steel, or if they want to buy more to make sure that they have got enough, then that will push prices. But generally, it's been classified, you know, as a precious metal, and it's one of those that basically is more of luxury more than anything. I'm not even too sure whether can you even see that as a store of value compared to the likes of gold. That sometimes gold can be seen as a store of value compared to diamonds. Mm, mm. But what I know, they say diamonds is what girl's best girl's friend, something like that. A, gu- What's that a girl's best friend. 
something like that. That's girl. That's bad. You know, almost so, yeah. all of that. I mean, even this um, attraction and linking diamonds to like a, uh, what are they called? Golden Jubilee or, or something like that yeah. was part of a very sophisticated advertising campaign in the 20th century. I mean, it's probably one of the sort of most enduring ones if you think about it. Uh, with De Beers paid this company to actually say look link every milestone in your life or in your relationship uh you know with uh, with a gemstone of some shape or form and then restrict the supply chain and effectively monopolize it under the de beers banner and you have an industry doesn't it just the way they sell them diamonds don't, don't just sell them they invite people i think de beers has got six <laughs> yeah those site holders in the year. Uh, site holders yeah. yeah yeah those meetings exactly mm. So that itself, it shows you that it's an OPEC, you know, in a way, when exactly. it comes to diamonds. Exactly, exactly. And that, that makes you wonder, though, um, if, if you think about the, the main sources on our continent, least of all, of diamonds, have been Namibia, South mm-hmm. Africa, and Botswana. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, what is the implication then in many of those countries to have, you know, you are the best producer of this thing, but you're effectively feeding it into like a massive monopsony because they are the sole buyer. So they're not a monopoly per se, as in like the sole seller, but they are the sole buyer of anybody who brings diamonds. And effectively, they are the ones who then become monopoly again and sell it to, to all of the people who unsell it to everybody else to cut. So it's maybe just a, a, Yeah, man, in Denza Narion, to be honest, when I think about it. <laughs> maybe that explains why the Oppenheimers came back and started increasing their stake when it comes to DPS. Mm. They rather get out of coal but get into diamonds. And you know, man, diamonds are much, much cleaner even in the eye of investors um, than maybe a, you know, a coal-fired power station. Yeah, and but the value thereof. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I think this one for me is going to be very interesting, um, least of all in the context of, uh, yeah, uh, what we saw in Mnambiti and uh, quartz stones. Uh, I'm not sure if those are diamonds still or... But yeah, we can have that debate on another day. Mark, what's happening in the steel sector? It seems uh, an agreement on wages is looming. I think, I think you know, other industries can learn from the steel sector, you know, where sanity prevails. I mean, why can people get into a point where they negotiate wages without even making noise and they reach an agreement, without anyone threatening a strike? I mean, I think the steel industry, they understand themselves. And it's a question of ayah. The minute you see yourself mm. as one and not us and them, then you are able to look at yourself as the industry. And I think it's kind of rational what they're trying to do. And still, uh, the bargaining council, they right to say, listen, we're just one step, you know, towards making a deal when it comes to wages. As things stands, forget about the jobs that you have lost because of the current unrest. Forget about the jobs that you've lost because of COVID and the lockdowns. But we know the economy has been struggling. We've been rated into junk status long before COVID issues. So try to save whatever you can save. Instead of paying Magwe, giving him that increase of 120, 30%, but after six months you retrench them. Because that's what these people do at the end of the day. If you insist on that 12% increase, that's fine. You are threatening to strike. That's okay, but I promise you, brother, seven months, eight months down the line, you'll hear the company saying they're retrenched. So what's the point? So get something, 
decent, sustainable, call it a gradual increase instead of a rapid one. We know that we still have an issue of trying to close the gap, you know, between the executives and a mere worker, which is just too huge. But we have to find a way to close that gap, not using salary increases. Maybe give them some production targets, you know, stuff like that. Pay them bonuses, stuff like that, because on production. But I think we can learn from the steel industry to say, as much as things are not okay, but at least the guys are able or are just a step away from reaching a wage state. And this is an industry that we know has been struggling, mm. that has to compete with those cheap imports coming from the likes of China. And you know, I guess the other issue, Mark, we're sending with this industry is an upstream issue that I want us maybe to talk about briefly. We know that um, steel is made from chrome. Uh, and chrome is something we produce in this country um, in, in significant amounts. And and I always wonder, I mean, what implication that has had, this idea of having privatized our steel sector. Um, because you hear many people who are downstream producers saying, oh, we battle because uh, the cost of, you know, structural stainless, you know, and other forms of steel that are sold, even flat steels, um, mm. is so expensive because we're buying it at the same price as if we were out in Guangzhou, you know. Um, so, so there's all of those issues, uh, but also, I guess, the, the challenges of mills that are closing every day at considerable loss uh, to many people in this sector. Electricity is a big issue. Mm. And now, if electricity prices is going up, then it means that your input cost goes up. And we know that we used to have the likes of ISCO, but yes, with privatizing it, any buyer who bought it, I mean, ISCO said, then to turn it into actual metal, they'll want to continue to make super profits. Now you get to a point where productivity is not okay, then you have to compete with these cheap imports. But you are right, those are the kind of industries which you can easily call, I mean, low-lying fruits, where we should be excelling as a country because we produce those kind of ingredients. But it's not only the steel issue when it comes to pricing. Look how sassol they're pricing, you know, the parity that they're using. I mean, they're pricing stuff as if, you know, we've imported it from wherever. So it's not only the steel industry. And I think as much as we know that the Department of Trade and Industry that doing whatever they can to try to level the playing field, these are the kind of issues that they should be looking at. Hmm. Yeah, and I, and I guess, you know, Mark, when we think about steel also in the context of this infrastructure-led recovery that uh, many people have been talking about, it, it does certainly make the outlook for many producers in this space a uh, rather positive one uh, than uh, maybe a more gloomy one in the context of where we are and some of the sort of uh, things that have been communicated at a firm level and even within government. What is your I, assessment of, of what this might mean for the steel sector? We have, we, we have to be careful because mm. it, it goes back to the simple thing that of demand and supply. Sure. If there will be more demand because of the infrastructure spend that we are all looking forward to, then we get local producers to start increasing their prices. Then remember, who's running that project? It's not government. It's a certain company that has been awarded to do a particular project, and they also want to maximize their profits. Then they'll end up not buying from the local guy because of the pricing. Then they'll continue to import that cheap steel. So it's the government to intervene. This whole thing, I don't understand why we're not taking it serious. 
of local content mm. that a certain percentage has to be local content. I promise you, if they give me that particular tender and I have to buy steel from you for uh, 800 rand, you know, then I can easily maybe get it from wherever in Asia for half the price. But I promise you, I'm going to get it from there because I'm also trying to maximize my profit. So it's not it's not as a straight line like that that there will be demand so the local producers will do and pricing will continue to be key. But government can intervene by saying local content is important. We need a certain percentage, mm. or, you know, as local content. Then that at least will help. Yeah, um, and I guess there's there's also big question marks around enforcement of uh, local content because you know um, we sometimes expect the Bureau of Standards and yeah we haven't spoken to them in a while the South African Bureau of Standards, to be the one that verifies. I mean, if, if you're building sure. a, uh, a dock uh, out, maybe as part of the Small Harbors Initiative that people are talking about, you're building a dock out, out somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And the steel that's coming through in that process, or even some of the inputs or components, mm-hmm. um, can't be verified in a very clear way. Because sometimes one gets a sense that, do we have the capacity first to understand that actually there are components, subcomponents, and other multiple layers that sometimes are gamed to get to that 65% uh, that sometimes is, it is for designated products. Um, and I'm a bit concerned when I'm up with that uh, we mm. might have a, a very good idea in terms of the localization, but sometimes the enforcement capability in people who are issuing bids or doing whatever might not necessarily mm. be there. You know? I agree with you. The enforcement continues to be an issue, but whether do we know how to calculate that Definitely, we do have the capacity, but do we and the skill to do that? But the problem is, do we have the capacity to be able to enforce that? And you are right, that's where we are lacking. And I guess it goes to, or it talks to most of our issues. They all look nice on paper. The problem, it comes to implementation. Hmm. Makwe? Yeah. Baba. Let's leave it there, my brother. It's always a pleasure. Alestoli, top togozile, baba. Eitera. Makwe Masilela there, Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Makwe Fund Managers, helping us there with our wrap of the top business stories.